Ooh, let's turn myself on. Am I on? Fantastic. I think the chair's got a bigger applause than I did. I'm not sure what I think about it. Ooh, right, I'll tissues there, because I'll probably need those at some point. <laughs> it's going well. Hey, good morning, my name's Alid, as Paul said, and I'm one of the members here at the King's, and it's my privilege to be continuing our series looking at the Gospel of John. And we're looking at a guy called Jesus, and the question is, incomparable or irrelevant? Or as it says in the Old Testament, to whom will you compare me, says the Lord? Or as Paul puts it as a challenge in the New Testament, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, if he didn't really rise again from the dead, then we seem to be wasting a lot of time, effort, and even money on this thing. So it seems like quite a pertinent question to ask. It seems like a very important question to ask, and one that actually every single person at some point in their life will have to ask that question. Anyone who has, is, or ever will live will at some point need to answer the question, is God relevant for my life or is he not? Is he incomparable or is he just like the rest of us? And so if you want to turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John, I'm going to to continue where, I'm going to tell you where Santino left off last week. And those that aren't familiar with the Bible, there's four Gospels, four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And the word Gospel, or Evangelion in the Greek, means good tidings, good news. And it's basically God's story of how he can take someone who is utterly sinful and make them gloriously righteous. And he does it without cheating the system, guys. He does it all above board. It's great. It's beautiful news. So let's see what Jesus is up to in this. So John chapter 5, verse 1. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked the man, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked Father, I thank you that you are a God who is able and I thank you that you are a God who is willing. Lord, thank you that all of us can testify that our soul is well because of your grace and your mercy on our lives, Lord. And I pray this morning, would you give me clarity of speech in in how I uh, preserve and uh, I pray that you'd anoint me, Lord, to speak directly into people's hearts this morning. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that even now as I preach, Lord, would you come manifest presence and heal people today. I pray that even as I preach, Lord, you are starting now healing people of their emotional and their physical sickness. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who loves us, but you hate sin and you hate sickness. And I pray in your power, would you come in your grace and stir us this morning, I pray. Amen. Okay. Right. To start with, I thought I'd do something a little bit lighthearted. We're going to show you a few photos. The first photo is of me. This is me, October 1984. Probably a few few days old there, I think. I don't know where my mum is, but yeah, I assume that's a few days old in my old house. I think the next one, I find my love of food. And the next one... That's me and my older brother, four years my superior. One thing I noticed when I look through photo albums is how I've aged. 
Do you, do you notice that? And I'm not exactly the oldest here. If we go for a few more, I've actually got some photos of you. All courtesy of Facebook, of course. So some of you that haven't got a Facebook account can sign us our release. This is Adrian Purse Club. I'm not sure if he's here to defend himself, but he looks different, doesn't he? Uh, next one, Barbara White. <laughs> okay, another one. Bob Beanie. <laughs> Look at that. Bob with hair. And I think we've got one or two more. Brian Marriott. In the garden. In fact, I think that's at Stonely, isn't it, Brian? I think. Hey, look at that. Gareth, Nick. Looking very different. And Simon Wong and Anthony. Now, the only person that I think hasn't aged over time, can you see Don Smith in that top right corner? <laughs> now, considering that was taken about 18 years ago or 15 years ago, I don't think he's changed one bit, but there's lots of other people. But anyway, the reason for showing you those photos is that it almost emphasises what Paul says in the New Testament about our bodies wasting away. Can you relate to that? You just feel that you don't quite feel as good as you did five years ago or ten years ago. And uh, what I was going to do in preparing this message, I was... Oh, okay. Here we go. I was going to attempt, if I'm honest, to try and explain one or two of the whys when it comes to sickness. And it's just the way it is that with the, with the fall and the consequences of sin, the way it is is that we uh, have separation from God we get sick and we die. That's the consequence of our sin. And I was going to try and explain one or two bits of that. But to be totally honest with you, I'll get this out and then I'll be all right, I promise. All right, so just bear with me. I was going to try and explain maybe why some of our husbands and our wives and our children and our fathers die, some of our newborn babies and things. But to be honest with you, I just can't do that. So I know that some of you here that maybe go home and in your living rooms you're sitting there thinking, why, why? Why is this happening to me? I can't give you answers on the why, but I can sure tell you about the who. I can tell you about a God who says in the Bible that he's a God of love. He's a God of grace and he's a God, and he's a God of mercy. And that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. I can't do justice on the why, but I can sure, do, I can sure attempt and do justice on the who of what God is and what he talks about in the Bible and how he relates to healing. Okay? So that's what I'm going to go for. All right, I'll try and speak probably for about 25 minutes, it'll probably, well, no, 25 minutes or so, and then we're going to give good time to pray for the sick amongst us. And I've just got real faith that God wants to come in his manifest presence and heal people, okay, emotionally and physically. So let's go for that. Okay, I don't know what your views are on healing, um, whether you're here and you're a Christian or a non-Christian. There are lots of different views on healing, but there are four main ones. The first one is the classic liberal view that healings just don't happen today. So you may well think that maybe, I reckon that's probably because your experiences are based, or your view, should I say, is based on your experience and not on the word of God. And there's also closely linked to that a cessationist view, which actually healings don't happen today. They did happen after Jesus rose again, but only for the apostles, the early apostles that we read about in the, in the Gospels and uh, in Acts. But then when they died out, the gift of healing died out as well. But again, I don't think, I think that lacks biblical credibility personally, and, and also experientially, myself, I've experienced healing, and I know that many of us here, in fact, God seems to be moving more and more in healing in this church, praise God, in, the, in this church, in this setting. So I'm just not sure if those views relate to me. They may be views that you have, and I praise, or I pray that later on you'll change those views because you'll see evidence of that this morning. There's a third view, which I think is potentially just as dangerous, and that's the classic Pentecostal view, which is basically that 
In the, we are full of time in the cross, so because Jesus has paid the price for the sin and the consequence of sin, everyone can be healed fully, you can be fully fine, all you need is to have enough faith for it, or all you need to do is pray enough. Again, I'm not sure pastorally whether that is what the Bible teaches, and I think that goes against the heart of God and what actually he, uh, he means in ways of faith. I think that... Uh, I know that there will be people here that have had that experience. Maybe you've been in sickness for a long time and what you've been told or what you believe in your heart. You might not necessarily have a, uh, that kind of viewpoint, but you'll certainly heed to the fact that actually maybe it's just that I haven't got enough faith for this. Maybe it's just that I don't pray enough. And I just don't think that's necessarily a healthy attitude to have. And I pray that as I speak over these next 25 minutes, you'll understand what actually God's heart is for healing and how much God loves the sick. Okay. The final viewpoint, and one which probably I hold to closest, is a classic charismatic view, which is that God does heal today. He does heal today. But we are still living in a sin-ridden world, which means actually we still suffer sickness. And it's this balance and this question of the why, and actually it's all part of the glory and the mystery of God that actually sometimes we can see people healed and some people, sometimes we, we, we see that people aren't. And my concern with the view is that we can focus so heavily on the mystery of God that we don't focus enough on the promises of God. That's my concern with that viewpoint. And I think that looking at Jesus on this particular account and other accounts in the Bible is that actually Jesus has such a, uh, a good theology on healing. Actually, what he focuses on is on the blessings of God, not on the mysteries of God. And I hope that as we unpack some of these this morning, it will really help you. Just that actually, it's not so much on the why, it's on the who and who God is, his character and what that means for us, okay? Both this side of the grave and on the other side as well. Okay. Two resources very, very quickly, because I want to get on. PJ Smythe at the Together on a Mission conference this year preached on healing, suffering, um, suffering, sickness and suffering and healing. And it's a free resource. If you go on the New Frontiers website, you can download it, listen to it. It was really helpful. And also on the same website, there's an article, a theological article by a call called Phil Moore. And again, that has really shaped my understanding on, and also a lot of what I'm going to say this morning because it just gives you a really clear outline on what the Bible says about healing. So those are two resources that if you're interested, because I can't give it a huge amount of time this morning, the theological aspects of healing, nor do I feel I'm necessarily qualified to. So look at people that I think are and have got real great experience in that and that will help you, I think. Okay, so back to this story. Let's look at this story. So imagine, if you will, Jesus has gone from Galilee and he's coming to Jerusalem. So last week Santino spoke about the Samaritan woman So Jesus has spoken, he's prophesied over this Samaritan woman, he's met lots of Samaritans, and on his way to Jerusalem, there's a centurion guy that comes and says, pray for my son, my son is sick, he's got a fever which is threatening to take his life, and Jesus says, go home, your boy will be fine, and his boy is, is healed. And he arrives in Jerusalem, he goes to the north of Jerusalem, in the city, to what's called the Sheep Gate, there's 12 gates, I think, around Jerusalem, and he goes to the 12th gate, the Sheep Gate, above the temple, and he goes to a place called Bethesda. Now, Bethesda is, it says a pool, I tell you, it's 150 metres long. Like, that's the size of the pool. It was about 50 metres wide, and at its deepest point, it's about 15 metres deep. 
So just imagine that in your mind. So this is what Jesus is walking into. He's walking through one of these five colonnades. He gets to this vast expanse of water called Bethesda. And Bethesda in the Aramaic actually means two things. It's a paradoxical word. It means disgrace and grace. Okay? So everyone say, disgrace. Disgrace. Oh, come on, we could do better than that. Disgrace Disgrace. and grace. Grace. Fantastic. So it's a paradoxical word. It means both things. And the reason it was called a place of disgrace is because it's where all the lame, all the lepers, all the sick people went. It was a place known for healing, so it was where all those sick people congregated. And commentators suggest, I'm not sure historically how factual this can be, but they suggest that it could have been over a thousand people sick around this pool when Jesus walked into the scene. So imagine the situation, there's the blind, invalids, no doubt those with skin conditions and many more. Able-bodied people wouldn't have been uh, seen there, they wouldn't have wanted to be associated with the place. It was a place for the needy, it was a place for those that were rejected, those people that were lost. It was a needy place, it was a place of disgrace. Bethesda. And Jesus' focus turns to one man, And uh, after learning, it says, after learning of the man's plight, after learning of his sickness for 38 years, the Greek word for that learnt of is the same as what we hear in the story of the Samaritan woman. So it's almost like a word of knowledge. God, Father, releases knowledge to to Jesus that this man has been suffering for 38 years. And Jesus asks him the question, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now notice that the man doesn't approach Jesus In fact, the man doesn't ask Jesus anything. In fact, he doesn't even know who Jesus is because later we hear about the Jews asking him, well, who told you to pick up your mat and walk? I don't don't know who it was. This man had no knowledge of Jesus. He just thinks it's a man walking in saying, do you want to get well? And his response is a complaining one. His response is, well, no one is there to, to help me get in the pool. And someone always gets there before me. Just very quickly, just to explain, the reason that the sick were gathered there was obviously because they were, it was a place known for its natural healing properties. It was a place, that's why it's called grace, and in your Bibles, I'm not sure if, you, if you're reading your Bibles, you might have noted that verse 4 isn't there altogether. So it goes verse 1, verse two, uh, 2, verse 3, and then verse 5. And you think, oh, What's happened there? And basically, verse 4, for some early manuscripts, it was an addition to, and common sense would suggest that actually what the author has done, he's put it in there to explain this verse 7. So when the guy says, no one helps me when the water is stirred, verse 4, and if you look at your footnotes, it will say it there, what happened historically is that an angel of the Lord would stir up some of the water, and as God did it, is that if you got into the water first, then you were healed. And this guy who is lame and on the side of the pool is saying, well, whenever the water is stirred, I, I'm not able to get in the water. So, I, so he's looking for a practical answer. So the man, like the Samaritan woman, actually, is looking at a practical answer. Because remember, when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman about, well, if you knew who asked you for a drink, I would draw wells of living water. And she says, but you haven't got a bucket. How can, how can you know, the well's deep. And like that, this guy is saying, well, Jesus answers him a question and he says, well, no one's there to pick me up and put him in the pool. But Jesus at no point has any interest in meeting a guy's practical needs and picking him up. At no point is Jesus going to pick him up and put him in the pool. Jesus is something about far, far greater. 
Jesus is about to demonstrate that he is both able to heal and willing to heal in this particular situation. And there's four things out of this story that I just want to highlight, four things that I think Jesus knew about the Father and knew them really well and which equipped him in his ministry. And I feel as us as a church uh, that these four things, we need to stand fast at these things and I think that will really help us in improving um, our faith levels and also seeing more, more healings and other miraculous signs and wonders in this church. I really do believe that and I just pray that God you'll give me the grace to communicate this well. The first one is wisdom of the Father. Jesus knew something of the wisdom of the Father. And uh, as I've already, well, as I've already alluded to, God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over everything. But when it comes to healing then, it sometimes causes complications in our hearts because we're, you know, it raises questions over why some of our sick get sick, why some of our, uh, you know, our loved ones die. But Jesus understood that actually God is sovereign over all things. And though there's mystery to it, Jesus never doubts God is sovereign. The Father is sovereign. Daniel 4 says the Most High is sovereign. PJ Smythe says this, if you try to rescue God from responsibility for suffering, then you rescue him from being God. And that is about as uncomforting as things could possibly get. Listen, there are many mysteries to God and healing is certainly one of them. How some people get healed and some people don't, I'm not entirely sure. But let's not focus so much on the mystery of God that we, that we forfeit the benefits of God and the benefits of the gospel. What is clear from scripture is that acts of healing always appear to do one of four things. It appears to me that the first thing it does is that it authenticates the gospel. So where the gospel was preached it was backed up with signs and wonders. So the first thing is that it authenticates the gospel. The second thing, it brings comfort and demonstrates God's mercy to those that are in need. So those people that are sick, those people that are around those people that are sick, it brings mercy and comfort to those that have been in pain. The third thing it can do for those of us that are saved is that it can equip you for service. So when God heals people, he is taking away some of those impediments, which means that you can't get into service because you're bedridden or anything else, so God can heal people to get you ready for service. And the last thing, and possibly more important, in fact, this will be evident in every healing, is that it gives glory to God. To God. To no one else, it gives glory to God. It glorifies God. It demonstrates his love. It demonstrates his power. It demonstrates his goodness. It demonstrates all of the character of God. It glorifies him. Not understanding some of the mysteries in the wisdom of God is not cause for us to be disobedient in praying for the sick. Hear that? Not understanding some of the mysteries of God is not reason for us to be disobedient in not praying for the sick. Okay? Phil Moore says this, Any church leader, and I'd say any Christian, so you could put yourself in this camp, any Christian who has prayed for the sick and seen some of them fail to receive healing knows the terrible anguish and pain which can result both for the person receiving prayer and for the person doing the praying. It is understandable that some of us tactly decide that we will downplay the biblical promises of healing in our churches in order to spare people any further disappointment. Understandable, but very, very wrong very wrong. 
Listen, if we downplay the gifts of healing in the church due to past uh, disappointments or a fear that it's not going to go well, actually I think there's an element of pride in there as well. I found it in myself. I think I'm not sure whether I've got the boldness, the guts to stand out here because I might just look foolish. If we downplay the biblical presence of healing and essence of the gospel in this place, we we are being unbiblical, completely unbiblical, Miraculous healing is not merely an authentication of the gospel, it's part of the gospel itself. Jesus understood that being pastoral meant taking the lead in the miraculous. That's what pastoring is. He went around those towns and he healed those that he met. But for us as well, being pastoring means doing those things, but also taking care of those that for some reason in God's mysterious purposes are still experiencing the delay of healing whether it be in this life or the next. That's what good pastoring is. It's trying to keep that balance but not making the focus on the mystery of God but focusing on God says pray. Pray, be fervent in prayer, pray in faith and and you get healing and that's what we're going to believe for this morning. So let's not fall into the trap of emphasising the mysteries of God beyond the promises of God and frustrate ourselves with those things that are not revealed and not benefit from all that is. The second thing I think Jesus really understands about God, the Father, is he has a real knowledge of God. He has a real knowledge of the Father. And without a doubt, the main ammunition for Jesus is that he knows God. It's not that Jesus at any point goes with a particular uh, stance. He doesn't go and he has a certain strategy. He doesn't have a certain... uh, formula to heal, he knows the Father. He says, I I see what I see the Father doing. I do what I see the Father doing. And in the same way, that's what we need to do. His confidence that the sick would be healed was not based on a technique he had come to know, but on the Father that he had come to know. That's why he could pray in authority for the sick. It's because he knew the who. And that's why he could pray for the sick. Listen, we shouldn't expect to necessarily minister in the spirit and healing if we don't have a relationship with him and if we don't know him well. We need to build strong relationships with the Father. There's no comprehensive formula. The Bible doesn't leave that open to us. Yeah, it's good to lay hands. It encourages us to do that. It's good to anoint elders, anoint them with oil. It's good to do that. It's good to command. It's good. You know, I used to believe, I, if I pray for someone, just said, in the name of Jesus, that would be all right. Listen, all of those things in a way are good, but they're not a comprehensive formula in any way. If you look at what Jesus does, he, he picks up dirt and he spits in it and he rubs it in someone's eyes. I don't think we'll be too favourable in this town if that's what we do. Kind of King's Church Hastings, they spit in your eyes. But, you know, so that's one thing. But then another time, God says, well, dip yourself, the prophet says, dip yourself in and out of the river and you'll be cured. So there's no set formula here, guys. For some people, it might be, actually, all I have to do, all I need to do is just touch the hem of his garment and I know that I'll be well again. There's no set formula here, guys. It's based on faith. It's based on a knowledge, a deep knowledge of the Father. God is not interested in formula. God is interested in relationship. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that really well. The third thing I learn about Jesus in this passage is the passion of the Father. The passion of the Father. Right, okay. This is where I might get a little bit emotional because I've just felt this all week. The passion of the Father. Jesus demonstrates his love again and again. He loves the sick. He loves the sick. And if you're here and you're sick this morning, he loves you. Deeply, he loves you. Powerfully. He knows you. 
he loves you. Later on in John, I'm sure we'll cover it in this series, when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave, John, who writes the passage, says that Jesus, he refers to Jesus' love for Lazarus, for the sick, three times. And even all those that are gathered around him, when it happens, they say, wow, look at the love this man had for that guy. Jesus loves the sick. He loves the sick. Godly compassion was one of the key factors of Jesus' ministry and healing. And it must be of ours as well. We need to pray, God, give us a compassion for the sick. Give us a compassion for the sick. John Ryle, in his commentary, says this, He is full of undeserved, unexpected, abounding love towards man. He delights to show mercy. That's Micah 7. He is far more ready to save than any man is to be saved. He's far more willing to do good than any man is to receive it. Let us not hang back and delay under this vain idea that Christ is not willing to receive us. Let us come boldly and trust confidently. He that healed the cripple at Bethesda is still the same today. It's powerful, isn't it? He's the same God today. Jesus loves the sick. You know what? Jesus, lo- Sorry, Jesus loves the sick, but he hates the sickness. Do you know that? Jesus hates the sickness. Just as much as he hates sin, he hates the consequences of sick. He hates sickness. Jesus is passionate about it. Twice in uh, John's Gospel, this Greek word, embramaionai, means that when Jesus came to pray for the sick, it literally means Jesus snorted like a horse ready to go into battle. I wish it said that in my Bible. Doesn't that say something about the passion of God? Don't you think? I read that and I thought, wow. Because sometimes I think Jesus is a passive guy. He can just go along like, yeah, yeah, he heals. Yeah, yeah, fine. No, listen, he was passionate for it. He snorted like a horse. He meant to go into battle for it. He was passionate for it. He hated the sickness. The sad truth is that the reason why much sickness remains around us today is that we accept his acceptance, his existence, sorry, and bring no godly challenge to its pretend authority. That's what Phil Moore says. How challenging is that? I didn't read that very well. Let me read it again. It will blow your socks off, I promise. The sad truth is that the reason why much sickness remains around us is that we accept its existence and bring no godly challenge to its pretend authority. You know, God has authority over everything, and Jesus knew that, and he can come with passion, he can snort like a horse, and he can do battle, he can wage battle with it, knowing that, it, that the Father is both willing and he's able. Jesus tackles the issue of sickness head on with love of people, hate of sickness, and passion to see the Father glorified. I was really challenged on this this week, about the Father being glorified. I think that as a nation we have less inclination to focus on the glory of God and more inclination to focus on the glory of self. I think we're, quite a, we're a very pride-filled nation. We're very pride-filled people. But you know, Jesus had no qualms about looking foolish. He had, Jesus had no qualms about risking his own image and reputation in the healing because he had counted his own glory as nothing compared to that of the Father. And that's a lesson that we really need to learn is that actually... Everything is just but loss to the glory of the Father. And that's what we need to focus on. Sadly, too often our preoccupation is with our own glory and not on God. Fillmore says again, we will only begin to see more healings when we realise that the kingdom came through Jesus looking foolish on the cross. 
And it is only ever advanced through his followers being willing to look foolish for his sake too. Unless we are so passionate to see God being glorified that we are willing to ourselves be vilified, then we will see very few miracles of healings in our generation. Lord, I desire to see you glorified, magnified. Take away any pride that I might have. And the last thing that I notice about Jesus and him and healing is the is the faith that he he has faith in the Father. He's got faith in the Father. Three things very quickly on faith of the Father. I really want to give a good amount of time for us to pray. Faith always appears to be evident somewhere. Whether it be in the healer, so in this case Jesus, whether it be in the person who is sick, so the lady that I've just mentioned about, the, you know, the sick lady who'd been bleeding and she touches Jesus' garment, it's the faith in the woman that he, she's healed. Or it could be, actually, the people around the sick person. So in the case of, for example, the man who was, who was uh, sick and the friends brought him before Jesus, it was their faith. Yeah? And there's other situations where actually the person who's getting prayed for hasn't necessarily got faith for it at all. Remember the apostles, when they uh, went into the, into the city and there was, a, blind, uh, there was a, a beggar there saying, can you give me some money? I said, well, money I haven't got, but what I have got, be, you know, be healed in Jesus' name. So actually, it's not even, it doesn't have to be faith of the person who's getting, getting healed, you know, healed. It doesn't have to be the sick person. It could be the person praying. But somewhere, it seems to me, in the Bible, that faith is evident somewhere. The second thing is God is interested in the substance of your faith, not so much the quantity of it. Okay? Now let me explain what I mean by substance, because I've already said it about ten times, and I want to get it in your heads. Substance of faith is that God is able, but God is willing. And one without the other isn't faith. You can say, well, God's able to do it, but if you don't think God's willing to do it, then it's not faith. The substance of faith is saying, God, I know that you can do it, but I know that you will do it, or that you are willing to do it. So that's the substance of faith. That's what God is looking for, is faith that says, God, we know that you can do it, but Lord, I know that your will is to do it. I know that you're, it says in your word that you are good. It says that you are a healer. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You are so good. And the third thing is faith in his character, not on your method. Faith comes from God's character, not on our methods or our experience. Can I suggest that those that have seen a lot of fruit in ministering and healing have been taught to express faith in God's willingness to heal despite their experiences of, of failings or times that have gone wrong. They've pressed through it. Or as John Wimber says, don't preach your experience, preach the word of God. If you preach your experience all the time, you won't get it right. Preach the word of God. God doesn't follow our English proverb of seeing is believing. It just doesn't happen. All right? God works the other way. In the kingdom, it is believe and you see things. That's how it works. Believe and you see things happen. You see things happen. It's interesting, in, in John 11, when Lazarus was, was raised from the dead, Martha says two things. I'll just quickly read them out. In verse 21, she says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then the next verse says, But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask for. And the prayer of faith 
is one that goes past the verse 21 of, of God, if you were there, you would have died, but knowing going to the verse 22, found the faith of verse 22, but even now I know that you are able to save him. It occurred to me this week the similarities of Bethesda, this place of disgrace and grace and my own life and my experiences with God and the gospel. I was just thinking about how I was and just thinking about how we all actually were in a place of disgrace, rejected, helpless, needy, destined for a life of continued sickness, yet Jesus in his grace steps in Jesus, and he, and he asked the question, do you want to get well? And I just feel this morning, that's our, kind of the prophetic question this morning, is do you want to get well? Those of you that have been in sickness for 38 years, asking the question why, those of you that are maybe suffering emotionally from past hurts and pain, the question is, what well, Jesus says, well, do you want to get well? It's what he asked the man at Bethesda, I think it's the same place, we're in this position, we're at a place of grace and disgrace, do you want to go well? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get healed this morning? In relation to the nature of the need identified, the message is clear and gloriously relevant. Jesus can relate to long-standing need. Bruce Milne said that. If there's one thing I want you to take away this morning, it's this. God is able. And I know that most of us know that, but tell you what, some of us don't know that God is sure well willing. God is able, but God is willing. In the words of PJ Smythe, the answer is not in the why. The answer can only be found in the who. God is a God of love. God is a love. God, God is a God of grace and mercy. He loves you, but he hates sin. He hates it passionately. He hates sickness. And he loves to see the Father glorified. He loves, he's able to heal and he's certainly willing to heal. I, I, really, I know that I haven't necessarily done that justice, but if you hear anything, God is able to heal, but he is willing to heal. And that's the essence of faith, guys, when it comes to healing. We've got to learn to know more about the wisdom of God, but in that, know that actually through the character of God, it's how we come and get healed. It's not through the mystery, it's through what we know in the benefits of God and the gospel. So in a minute or two, can I, why don't the bands come up? We just, I want to give really good time for us to pray for each other. Those of you here, I know there are some that are definitely physically sick. I know some that are emotionally sick as well. What we're going to do, we're going to sing a song together and then after that, Paul and myself, we're just going to lead us through in praying for the sick. And I've just got real faith this morning that God wants to break in. You know, God sometimes loves to show how incomparable he is. Do you know that? For his glory... He sometimes loves to just show how incomparable he really is. So we're going to have maybe one or two words of knowledge as well. I'm aware there's one or two, and I'm going to have one or two friends of mine come up and give short testimonies in a minute. But the first thing I want to do is just let's just lift up Jesus. Let's just love Jesus. Let's just call on his name. Let's just focus back on him. And in a minute, we're just going to really fervently pray in faith for those of us that are sick. Are you up for that? Yeah? yeah? Are you up for that? Yeah. Good. I hope so. I'm up for it. I think it's going to be great. We're going to really experience God's blessing here. So Max, if we sing a song together and then we're going to come back in a moment and we're just going to pray for those that are sick. Can I just say as well, if you have experienced healing already this morning, can you maybe come and talk to me? Because I think it would be really great because I think faith builds 
uh, more healings. I think testimony builds faith as well. Okay, so we're just going to continue. We're going to worship him. So do you understand? Let's bring our focus back to him. The God who is able and the God who is willing. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. There is nothing in your past, there is nothing in your present that can deter you from from meeting Jesus and being in his presence. And his gospel, we are living in an age where actually God has paid even the penalty of sin and the consequences of sin. And whilst we're still living on the world which is full of sickness, at some point we will be glorified with him. Hallelujah. It's good news, guys. Remember I said at the beginning, someone who is utterly sinful and God can make them totally righteous. And he does it all above board as well. It's good news. So let's sing this song, Our God is Greater. He is greater. He is more awesome. And after that, we're just going to pray for people to get well. Even as we sing this song, lift up your hands to him. If you're sick, start praying. Okay, I just feel there's a real sense of faith here. God's certainly here, and we're just going to see some faith and healing this morning. Okay.